Thankfully, the condition of our soul does not depend on us, does not depend on the outward circumstances of our lives, but uh, is uh, resting uh, in our response to Jesus Christ. And Peter helps us uh, see this in the New Testament. So let me invite you this morning to join me once again in uh, the New Testament letter known as 1 Peter. 1 Peter is found near the end of uh, the Bible, somewhere near page 980. If you're using a pew Bible, if you're using your own Bible, uh, then I don't know where it is, but it's somewhere near the end of uh, your uh, written record of of God's Word. But suffering is a theme of the New Testament, and suffering is certainly a theme of uh, the book of First Peter, and we see this this morning. So as you find uh, your place in First Peter, uh, let me invite you to join me standing uh, out of reverence for God as we read uh, His Word. First Peter, I'll begin reading in chapter 4, uh, verse 12 and following. And here God's Word reads this way, Dear friends, do not, be, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you should suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Let's bow in prayer. Lord God, we do ask you now and invite you to lead us by your spirit and rightly understanding the truths of your word and applying them to our lives today as your people. Speak to us now, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. There's a foundational uh, truth that I think is conveyed right here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and following. Uh, and I think Peter would want us to know this truth. And so if Peter were with us this morning, if he were able to be here in the body with us and uh, speak to us, uh, I think perhaps he would want us to know that suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. Suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. In other words, it is not uh, the exception, uh, but it is the rule. Suffering is a normal part of uh, the Christian life. Now, church, hear me on this because this is very, uh, very countercultural. Uh, because we live in a, a culture that uh, encourages us and others around us to appear as if, as if everything is okay with us, as if everything is good in, in our lives. We want to appear as if we have been successful. We want to uh, appear as if we have everything together. We want to uh, appear as if none of our children have ever rebelled and uh, as if our relationships are all in uh, good, good order. We want to uh, appear as if we have no financial needs. We want to uh, appear as if we are going to live to the ripe old age of 102 without any major health complications. Uh, we want to appear as if we are not afraid of of anything. And this uh, 
uh, Christian, this subculture that is so much a part of suburban uh, America today uh, has spilled over into uh, the cultural Christianity that has been quite prevalent and influential in uh, our nation to the extent that the underlying message of a certain strain of cultural Christianity uh, is all about us and bettering our lives rather than God and His glory. If you don't believe me, then uh, walk up and down uh, the uh, religion section at the local popular bookstore at Books A Million or Barnes & Noble and begin to notice some of the titles of, of books. They appear more about you and bettering your life or more about God and His glory and faithfulness to Him. So let me ask you to reflect this morning on Uh, the particular version of Christianity that you have been uh, led to uh, believe and ask yourself, is there room for suffering in the Christianity that I have been led to believe? Because if there is no room for suffering in your faith, then perhaps uh, you and I have been led to believe something that is totally contrary to the Scripture. In fact, much of popular Western Christianity is very incompatible with the message that Peter conveys here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and, and following. But Peter is specifically writing to believers, remember scattered Christians who are part of various local congregations, various local uh, churches, and addresses the issue of suffering for faith in Christ. And so he writes to some believers who are experiencing persecution because of their faith, and to others who uh, perhaps can anticipate uh, suffering for for their faith. But I think the principles that are conveyed here and elsewhere in God's Word uh, apply to, to hardships and trials and suffering on, on a broader uh, scope as, as well. I'll have to be honest. If I'm fully honest with myself and with you this morning, I would be a bit hard-pressed to say that I have really suffered uh, in my life. But I know... I know that I can expect this, that this will come one day because the scriptures are clear that suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. I think likewise, probably Peter's original audience, in his original audience, there were those who had experienced suffering. There were those who had experienced great tragedies and difficulties and even persecution because of their faith in in Jesus. But I think for others, perhaps Peter's words served as a warning to prepare for such things because this is part of the Christian life. Indeed, according to the Scriptures, suffering tests our faith. Suffering tests our faith. We'll look back at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse, verse 12. The Scriptures read, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. James, the brother of Jesus, conveys this same truth as he writes in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 about hardships and trials being used by God in the lives of believers to test our faith. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Of course, no one is exempt from hardship. No one in life, no matter how successful or 
how popular or how ambitious or how committed is exempt from difficulties and hardships and trials and suffering in this life. But even though we often don't understand it in the time, we often don't understand it in the moment, somehow, in some way, God uses such suffering to bring about good in our lives. So because this is true, church, we must learn to expect difficulties. Expect difficulties. Peter says, don't be surprised by these things. Don't be surprised when difficulties, when fiery ordeals, he says, come on you to test you. Certainly, as mentioned already, the difficulties and trials in my life would pale in comparison to to those in the lives of many, but I've walked through hard circumstances with a number in this faith family. Illness and rebelling children and struggling marriages and even death. And the Lord is saying to us through His Word that God uses these and other similar circumstances in some way to affirm faith and to test faith and to strengthen faith and to mold and to shape the faith of His people in in Him. The truth that's conveyed here and elsewhere in God's Word I think can be illustrated by by a pearl. Pearls are something that... uh, uh, are considered considered to be of great worth, for they're fairly rare. The process in which a pearl comes about is a rather lengthy process. It's an oyster or a clam or uh, or another shelled uh, um, organism living in freshwater or saltwater experiences uh, disruption as an outside object penetrates that shell. Uh, perhaps a, a piece of sand or uh, a small parasite comes in and lodges between the shell and uh, the, the soft membrane of the oyster and causes this discomfort. The, the oyster begins to protect itself and to attack that, that object and to surround that object with uh, a substance known as nacre. That substance begins to surround the, the item and layer upon layer upon layer is produced ultimately to protect the oyster from the intruder and Uh, the discomfort associated with it. And likewise, church, suffering and trials and hardships in this life are an irritant to us. They are uncomfortable to us. They are not welcomed by us, but God interrupts and He uses those events ultimately to shape our faith and to mold our character for the greater good to produce something far better in our own lives. And though few, if any in this faith family have really suffered for faith in Jesus as many brothers and sisters have suffered for faith in Jesus around the world, there may soon come a day in which that is no longer the case. But according to the Word of God, church, suffering for faith in Christ reveals genuine faith. Suffering for faith in Christ reveals genuine faith in Christ. I don't know about you, but I can think of just a handful of moments and situations in my own life where uh, I experienced uh, uh, some form of ridicule, maybe a slight form of hostility because of my commitment to faith in, in Jesus Christ. Most of those simply teasing by uh, friends and others who were close uh, to me. But I do remember one particular occasion, one incident on a, uh, a trip in another context, a mission trip uh, overseas 
where we were part of a group passing out Bibles and other Christian literature to uh, practitioners of another uh, religion. I remember uh, after several hours standing on a busy street corner and gauging in folks as they came by, a, a man seemingly out of nowhere taking one of those Bibles that we were passing out taking it in his hand and immediately throwing it as far as he could off over multiple uh, lanes of, of traffic and then uh, further uh, threatening us with some verbal words. And I remember as a college student, totally out of my comfort zone, feeling rather small and, and hopeless in that moment. But even so, church, uh, that pales in comparison to uh, the hardships and the suffering, the suffering for faith in Christ that many followers of Jesus have experienced uh, around the world throughout the centuries. And uh, Ben led us uh, a couple of weeks ago in praying for the persecuted church uh, around the world. And we should be faithful in that, praying for brothers and sisters who are threatened because of their faith in, in Christ, inviting God to strengthen them and to encourage them and to use them to spread the message of the gospel in some of the hardest places in the world uh, today. Indeed, some 75% of uh, the world's current population live in places that uh, are described as uh, se- with, with severe religious uh, restrictions. In fact, uh, the United States Department of State estimates that there are 60 countries around the world today in which Christians face hostility and, and persecution by the government or their surrounding neighbors because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And Brothers and sisters, we can only imagine or anticipate how we might respond in the face of such suffering, how faithful or not we would be to our Lord Jesus Christ. But as uh, religious uh, secularism continues to be uh, championed in uh, our context, in our nation, in our culture, as progressive liberalism continues to be promoted and championed in our, our cultural context, then we can rest assured that the mass numbers of people who have very, very casually identified with the church will soon slip away. It's no longer advantageous to us in our culture to be associated with the church. It is certainly no longer advantageous, advantageous excuse me, uh, to, uh, to actually believe uh, the words of, of the Bible. But friends, as government and institutions and businesses and and others continue to ostracize Christianity and a Christian way of living and the truths that we profess, we are called upon as followers of Jesus to rejoice in identifying with Jesus. We have every reason to rejoice over the opportunity to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. Rather than lament the state of the union, we as believers can rejoice in Jesus. First Peter chapter 4, verse 13. Peter says, but rejoice... Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. In other words, rejoice over the opportunity to identify with him here and now, whatever that means in your life, so that on the day that he returns, you will rejoice in knowing that you are one of his and that you will be with him for all of eternity. And Peter is not simply shooting from the hip here. He's not simply saying the right Thing. Elsewhere, the scriptures convey to us that this is the way that Peter lived his life. In fact, Acts chapter 5, we read the account of the apostles being arrested because of their faith in Christ and their witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
religious leaders of their day should have uh, been the, the ones who were most prepared to receive the coming Messiah, but they had misunderstood the message of the Scriptures, and they'd failed to see the signs of the times. And so they had rejected the Messiah. They had rejected Jesus, and they had, they had killed Jesus. In fact, now they were angry because Jesus' followers were actually promoting this message of salvation and life through Jesus, and, and people were turning to Jesus through repentance and faith. So the religious leaders of the day arrested the apostles and they brought them in and they threatened them not to speak any more about Jesus. In fact, the scriptures teach us that they wanted to kill them. But a man intervened, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, and he convinced them otherwise. He said, if this is from God, we can't stop it. If it's not from God, let's ignore it. It will soon fade away. And we read in Acts chapter 5, verses 40 and following that his speech uh, persuaded them. They called the apostles in and they had them flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Whereas they beat them severely, and they said, don't talk anymore about Jesus. And then they let them go. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin, we read, the Jewish religious ruling council rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, that is the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Friends, this world has some things to to offer us. Momentary fame, maybe temporary riches, short-lived pleasures, but none of these things compared to the joy and the satisfaction and the peace of knowing where you stand before the Most High God as a follower of Jesus Christ. As one who has repented of sin and trusted in Jesus for salvation, received forgiveness of sins before God and been eternally reconciled to God, and no amount of suffering or pain or hardship or toil can ever take that away from, from you. So regardless of the circumstances of your life, regardless of your material situation or your physical condition, we're called upon, based upon the words of God, to rejoice in identifying with Jesus and secondly, to praise God for the privilege of being His Church, praise God for the privilege of being His, for being one of His people. Verse 16, however, Peter writes, If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Praise God that you bear that name, that you are one of His. So let me ask you this morning, do you bear the name of Jesus Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Christ? Have you turned to Jesus for life and salvation and been adopted into the family of God? Are you a son or daughter of the Most High God? Are you awaiting an inheritance in heaven that can never perish or spoil or fade away? Do you know that you are Yes, God is worthy of praise and exaltation for allowing us, for welcoming us, for inviting us to be His Children, Father, we praise you for the opportunity to know you and to live for you and to serve you, to be called your own. Father, may our lives glorify you. May we rest in you, knowing that first and foremost, we are followers of Jesus Christ, a position that is far greater than any position we could earn or accomplish on our own in this life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some of you thought we were finished. There, Some of you began to wonder, have, have I forgotten something? Well, some of you note takers wondered if you had missed the final few, 
few blanks there. Some of you wondering if you really did stay up too late last night watching football. I want you to know I did not stay up too late last night watching football. Uh, about 5.30, my, my TV was not working right, so I turned it off and went to bed. In fact, I'm still not sure who won that uh, Arkansas-Auburn game. I'm going to watch the rest of it today. I, I still have high hopes for, for the Hawks. I'm just kidding. Where were we? So the, so the scriptures remind us that, that suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. And secondly, we see here in God's word that God uses suffering to purify and to strengthen his people. God uses suffering to purify and to strengthen his people. Hear me on this. God is far more interested in molding us than he is in marketing us. He's far more interested in shaping our character and our faith in him than he is in using us to somehow make himself look good. The scriptures convey that God uses suffering, that he uses difficulties, that he uses hardships in some way, even beyond our, far beyond our perspective and comprehension as an avenue to bring about our greater good and his greater glory. Verses 17 and 18, Peter writes, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly? And the sinner, the type of judgment that's conveyed here that Peter says begins with God's household, that begins with God's people is more of an evaluating judgment than it is a condemning judgment. It's a testing judgment where God perhaps approves of our faith or disciplines us in order to mold and to shape our faith and a judgment that ultimately does lead to condemnation for Unbelievers who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a type of evaluating and testing and and judgment that God often uses suffering and hardships and difficulties to accomplish. To accomplish. And he conveys here that it's hard for the righteous to be saved. I think what he means by that is that eschatological salvation or the component of our salvation that will only be realized upon the return of Christ only comes about in the lives of believers after a period of difficulty in this life. That it's only realized, that it's only achieved, that it's only, it's only felt fully after the hardships that naturally come about in this life. So church, how are we to respond to such suffering here? In the here and now, in the meantime, as we wait on the return of the King, firstly, I think we are called upon and invited to trust the Lord in every season. Church, let's trust the Lord in every season of our, of our lives. Verse 19, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator. Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator. The word that's translated here, commit, in the NIV is elsewhere translated uh, as entrust. There's this connotation of entrusted. In other words, those who, those who know that God is working through events and beyond the scenes in ways that we don't comprehend or see are called upon to entrust their lives to Him. Knowing that even though we don't always understand His ways, perhaps we don't even always like His ways, that He is still sovereign and that He is still good. 
and that he is, as Peter writes, the faithful creator who is always faithful to his promises and always faithful to his, his people. And thus we can heed the exhortations found in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, to trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord through all circumstances, knowing that he is the one who guides our paths, knowing that he is the one who directs our paths ultimately for our good and for his glory. We are called upon to trust the Lord in every season of life and secondly, to obey the Lord always. Obey the Lord always. Verse 19 again, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Or it's trust in him and continue to live for, for him. When Christians suffer, the only appropriate course of action for us is to trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I think Peter is conveying to us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and following, that when Christians suffer, God is working for their greater good. Church, when Christians suffer, God is at work somehow and in some way beyond what we can see or know for our greater good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So even when we don't have the perspective that God has, even when we don't understand why He is allowing certain difficulties and events in our lives, the lives of those that we we love. We believe that he is working because we know that he's God. So let's trust in him. Let's obey him. Let's believe in him. Let's exercise faith in him despite whatever circumstances come our, our way. As we transition to a response this morning, I want to invite uh, you to respond in a couple uh, specific ways beyond even what uh, we normally uh, do. In fact, no doubt, there are many in this church family who are dealing with hardships, who are suffering even now. Perhaps someone close to you, a close family member is, is suffering, is dealing with great tragedy or loss or grief or a hardship. I want us to take an opportunity this morning to, to pray for each other, to pray for you, so in just a moment, if you would say, hey, that's me, I'm, I'm, de- I'm dealing with some difficulty in my life, some suffering, no matter how big or small that may seem compared to others, and you would invite us to pray for you, I want to encourage you in just a moment, I direct you, if you'll stand where you are, and then as a church, we're going to stand around you and encourage folks to lay hands on you, to pray for you. We're not going to ask you to come down here, we're not going to uh, ask you to explain your situation, but if you would say yes, I'm struggling now, or my family's struggling right now, and I would invite others, other believers, my church family, to pray for me, then I want you to, to do that this morning. So as David comes and leads us in a time of response, a hymn of response, know that I'll be available uh, down front here if the Lord is leading you in another way. Love to talk with you. would love to pray with you. Also be available immediately after the service and in the foyer. But as a church family, let's respond by... Uh, sharing with each other, by being vulnerable with each other, and ultimately by uh, lifting each other up before the Lord. So now at this time, if, if that is you, and you can say, yes, I'm, I'm dealing with some difficulties in my life, and I would like brothers and sisters to pray for me. Let me encourage you, go ahead, right where you are, stand up uh, where you are 
Uh, I know they weren't all in the first uh, service. So if that is you, go ahead and, and stand up right where you are. A number of, of folks standing. So uh, others, feel free to, to go ahead and do so. And church family, as you look around for a moment and you see some of these people, if one of uh, these brothers or sisters is near you, I encourage you to stand next to them, lay your hands on them and over the next minute or so to pray for them, to lift them up before God. And then let's all uh, respond in a way uh, that glorifies him. So church family, let's stand. Let's surround these. Let's lift each other up before a mighty God.